Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Cape Sports Now, Cape Cod Times uh, Facebook Live post covering everything going on with local sports. I'm Matt Goisman alongside Steve Jordarian. We had a huge weekend. We had the uh, Seagulls Four Ball Golf Championship. Steve, you covered that. Describe it. Well, I, I tell you what, they really went four for four in weather conditions, which is really unprecedented. I mean, yesterday might have been the worst of all days, and even then in the afternoon we got some sunshine. So mm -hmm. it was raining a little bit in the morning, a little bit toward the final round, but it finally cleared up, and, and it, we had a beautiful setting for the end. Just a little chilly, but, hey, it's the end of April finally. Yeah. Just about to turn the calendar, but really cool to see Jared Payne, you know, a former basketball, uh, excuse me, a basketball high graduate. He coached the basketball girls varsity basketball team and now helps out with the boys varsity basketball team. Mm -hmm. He won it with uh, Joe Hunt, a guy he's been playing with seven years. They both played old basketball fairgrounds all the time, and last year they were four up in the finals and they ended up losing. So it's a real big redemption story to see them come back this year and win it all and get their name etched on that plaque, which. You know, it's there forever. You know, there's names going all the way back to the 50s and that they can never take that name down. Mm -hmm. So both of those guys were really proud, really relieved to finally win it because at the end of the day, when you play 36 holes or close to 36 holes in one day, you're exhausted by yeah, the end. And you sure. almost don't even have time to be that elated. You're just relieved that it's over, that you've won, and that you didn't give it away for a second straight <laughs> year. So congrats to those guys. And certainly it was, it was really just a – Great tournament for the first time covering it. Seagulls is really, I mean, it's one of the highlights of the local golf scene, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a kickoff to the year. I mean, yeah. you have all these tournaments that happen, and this is what kind of gets it going. So at High End Sport Club, it's also the beginning and the end because the tournament starts there, or the mm -hmm. Seagulls starts there, and then the Cape Cod Amateur finishes there in the fall. Right. So everything else in between, you know, this is, this is just a great way to start the season, and it's just fun to see a new style format because – you know, people get a little – you've seen the PGA do this. Get a little tired mm -hmm. of stroke play. You saw it this weekend where they play a little best ball or four ball, which is basically just match play with you take whoever scores the best and that's, right. you win a point for that round if you're better than your opponent. So just cool to see, uh, you know, it's all local in a, in a sense that each tandem has to have one local guy. But mm -hmm. um, it, it's just cool to see young guys. I heard someone say yesterday, the, the future of golf's in good hands. Mm -hmm. So a lot of flights were won by – either father and son teams or, you know, just two really young guys. So, mm -hmm. I, I like match play. I think it's a cool variation to golf, and I think it forces you to approach, uh, like, your strategy differently because you're instead of trying to shoot the lowest score you can on each hole, you're just trying to beat the other guy on each hole. Yeah. And so you have to, I think, you have to break the course down into, into hole by hole, mm -hmm. and that's all you, you think about for that one time. And I think that's very interesting and kind of a different mental approach to the game. Yeah, and the thing is, too, when you see it toward the end yesterday, you, you get to see people be a little more aggressive toward the end. So mm -hmm. the guys who are playing Billy Van Stratum and Mike Walker, when they're on the 16th hole and they're down two strokes, they're going to go take a chance. And, and at one point they took out a three-wood, I think, from the rough on the mm -hmm. right side, and they had to blast it over out of bounds just to try to get it to the green on their second shot. So, you know, you don't see that all the time in stroke play, like you said, because, mm -hmm. you know, if you're trailing – you know, you got to take those risks. And even if one guy hits one in the water, well, at least you got someone else to bail you exactly. out. Exactly. Um, so, so you see some cooler stuff for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Barnst also in big news from this past weekend, Barnstable Football uh, officially introduced Ross Chicola as its new head coach. He met with the, about 30 players uh, Saturday morning at the uh, Barnstable High School cafeteria. I was there. Uh, Ross Chicola was very, very uh, excited to be there for sure. 
a lot of what he had to say uh, concerned weight room, like clearly off-season weight room participation is a big, big, big thing for him. Um, a couple of things that st uh, stood out to me, when he was talking about the importance of the weight room, one thing he brought up was King Philip Regional, who beat Barnstable in the first round of the D2 playoffs, uh, the D2 South playoffs uh, this past fall. They then won their second straight state title later later uh, that fall, the season. And uh, I'm sorry, they capped their season with their second straight uh, Division II state title. I uh, Sorry for the, the word jumble <laughs> it's Monday, there. It's Monday. It's and okay. what Jacola pointed out is if you look at King Phillip from three years ago versus the last two when they won titles, what the biggest difference is is they have a new strength and conditioning coach, so it really does matter. Um, the other thing I was struck by was him bringing up uh, taking over Monomoy football a few years ago and saying, you know, when I started my first meeting with the kids, there were 12 of them. You know, that, that it was a very small program that he had to build up. It was a very new program. You know, that season, their numbers got so bad because of injuries, they actually had to forfeit one game, um, and then they changed conferences to one where lower numbers wouldn't be so so painful for them, literally. Mm -hmm. uh, but he comes to Barnstable where, as he points out, the tradition is already set in stone. The program is over 100 years old. The numbers are great. The youth theater program is great. So I, I think he really sees himself as walking into a very well-created, uh, well-formed system already. Yeah, I mean, he definitely said all the right things, you know, mm -hmm. and you have to make that good first impression, understandably, sure. you know, with the move that I'm still upset. I'm sure some people are still upset yeah. that there's a, new, there's a new coach this year. But, again, that's not in Ross's power. He can only control what he can control. And, yeah. and that's, you know, making that good first impression, meeting with the parents, which you don't always get to see, you know, right off right off the bat. And you mentioned part of the reason why they're doing this in the spring mm -hmm. is, one, yes, the weight room, and then, two, you know, th this is a program that has, you know, its own boosters. It, it has yeah. people who are, are very highly vested in, in this program. So, you know, I'm interested to see, you know, the difference that makes. If it encourages more people to come out to the weight room. Because mm -hmm. really, I think that's going to be even more important than just keeping the guys you already have. Is actually trying to grow the program, getting more people to come out for football. Because, mm -hmm. you know what, they might all work out, but you might find one or two guys who otherwise wouldn't have played had you yeah. not sought them out. So I know that's going to be difficult. He's not really moving here to Barnstable until June, June I believe. Yeah. yeah. So he's at Cheshire right, uh, right now in, in Connecticut. So. so it's hard to do that recruiting, but Hey, I'm sure he's meeting with some of the upperclassmen and say, Hey, you see guys who, who might not have mm -hmm. done it in the past or are interested, go get them to come out. Because at the end of the day with a, with a big school like Barnstable, there's definitely kids out there who you oh, yeah. can convince. It's just a matter of getting to them. And if they could get that in motion, you know, that helps the program in the long run. Uh, he definitely, I, I think he's already started to do some of that. You know, he mentioned Matt Peterkuski, their their quarterback. He was their starter this past year. He is presumably going to be their starting quarterback in the fall. So he mentioned him by name, said they've gone back and forth either via text or, or something mm -hmm. repeatedly. So I think he is already reaching out to some of the key players to ask them to start spreading the word about the program. Right. You know, he talks about this being a new era we won't know if it is or it isn't until the fall comes around, until they play D.Y., who is a defending state champion in their season opener, and we really start to see what he can do with this program. And we really may not see anything until next year when they have to find a new football conference. Right, and I don't think it's necessarily much of a new era for the program as it is for a new coach. Yeah. I think this, like we've talked about before, I think this is going to take some time to, to build this thing back up because it's not easy. I mean – DY didn't just do it in one year. They were a good 
one year yeah. and it was a perfect storm where they were able to go undefeated and you, and you look at that with you know Mashpee has been able to do that for Mashpee, three straight years Falmouth last year I mean right it was, I mean this was a culmination building up to mm-hmm. and even Mashpee because you saw it this year they finally capped an undefeated season what they right. hadn't done in the previous two times mm-hmm. so you saw those classes building up that doesn't happen in one year that has to start with with a group that you can work with and, and really cultivate into a winner Falmouth I think is actually the best example of that because they went undefeated to win a state championship last year. Most of their starters, not all of them, but almost all of them were seniors, and they had all been playing together on the varsity since their sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Their sophomore year didn't go so great, but then they got a little better as juniors, and then they were the biggest kids on the field as seniors, right. and they rolled to a state title. I mean, they really were not tested too much against basically anybody. I mean, they were all most mm-hmm. pretty hand, handy victories. Uh, and so that's what I think uh, Ross is going to have to do with Barnstable is develop young kids and keep them in the program for three or four years and then try to build one, you know, a strong senior class next season or whatever that, that really can dominate. Right. Just from being there, because you were there the whole time, you know, what was think the, the most important question asked or maybe the most pressing question asked of, of Ross? It's funny, there weren't a lot of actual questions asked. You know, mm-hmm. one of the, the players asked about who the assistant coaching staff is going to be, and the answer is they don't know yet. They're still figuring that out. Some of it was just scheduling stuff, mm-hmm. what times and hours will the weight room be open. Um, and a lot of it was comments from the parents who, they seem to be behind Ross. They they seem to be okay with this decision. Obviously, some are still, I think there's still some hard feelings over Chris Witten's departure and the way he, you know, he was terminated as head football coach. But I think the Booster Club overall is, for the most part, with them. You know, um, Doug Peabody, whose son, James, is, was a senior this year. He's going to go play for Cornell. His older son, uh, Nick, is uh, played for Princeton. Yep. You know, they had both worked privately with uh, Ross um, during their high school days. And so he very much believed, you know, Ross is a guy who can turn you into a very good football player. Right. All right, so how about we move on to some spring stuff? Yeah, so, some yeah, stuff that's actually, actually happening, happening. <laughs> that we'll see results just, of in the next 24, 48 it, it, hours. It's unbelievable. We just talked about it last week. The schedule is about to turn. I mean, this yeah. is a huge week for this. I mean, you look at the first, just Monday, Tuesday alone, mm-hmm. just about everybody is playing in some yeah. capacity. It, it's, it's really an exciting time of year. And, again, I, I think this week, you know, the table's kind of been set now. Teams are where they are. Mm-hmm. Now they gotta they got to play – their scenario so if, if a team's down you know hey we got to go on a winning streak here you know if a team's won a few games all right maybe they have some challenging ones and they got to keep that up and that's not always easy to play that consistently across a 20 or you know, 16 to 18 or 20 game schedule absolutely even the non-conference games and we have a bunch of big conference games we'll mention coming up you know but one of the two of the biggest games are of the season may be happening today first we have falmouth Baseball at Barnstable. That's this afternoon. That's 4 p.m. at Barnstable High School in Hyannis. Falmouth and Barnstable are very old rivals in every single sport that they mm-hmm. play each other in, in football, in baseball, in basketball, in lacrosse, in the girls' sports, in the boys' sports, all of it. These teams always go at it. They always want to beat each other. Um, Falmouth also has another big test on Wednesday where they host Sandwich. That's an ACL game that – you know, the ACL is still not settled in baseball, so they can't give that away. But with Falmouth and Barnstable, so Barnstable won both games last year. They won 12-10, and they won 4-3 in eight innings. But this year's teams are in very different positions. Falmouth, 5-2. and two. 
Barnstable four and five now. And Barnstable has had three of their wins are extra innings wins or walk-off wins. So they are not blowing teams out. A lot of times they're having to come back late, which they can do. And that's definitely a confidence builder, but you know, they are finding themselves a lot of times in situations where they have to rally late. Um, You know, five of Barnstable's first nine games have been decided by three runs or fewer, but the same could be said for Falmouth. Five of their first seven have been by three runs or fewer. Um, What's interesting is both teams most recently played New Bedford. Um, Barnstable beat uh, uh, New Bedford 5-4 on a suicide squeeze. Uh, Nick Caprio got it down. Colby Burke scored, and so they won 5-4 on Saturday. Um, Burke is having a really great season. He is batting 406. Also, look for Matt Klett. Um, he leads the team with a 462 on base percentage. His on base plus slugging is over 1,000. So that's where the offense is really coming from. The pitching, you know, it remains to be seen who they'll start today. It could be Burke, it could be Casey Proto, it could be somebody else. Um, on Falmouth's side, they played, they've actually been off for nine days. So we'll see how that affects them. There can sometimes be rust with those long breaks. They beat New Bedford 10-2 on April 21st, so that's kind of telling an eight-run game versus a one-run game. Uh, Senior Gates Kelleher, son of the head coach Tom Kelleher, he had four hits in that game. Uh, He also drove in three runs. Anthony Carson had four hits. Kevin Peters had three RBIs. Kelleher pitched really well. So, you know, that's who – look for those guys to really step up. Maybe Eli Harris gets in some games too um, against – in this one this afternoon. Yeah, I know we've talked about Barstool baseball before, is that they're really a scrappy bunch. And, Absolutely. And you mentioned the on-base percentage. I think that's big because there isn't as much power last year. You don't have that Jack Kennedy bat in the middle mm-hmm. of the lineup. So I, I think that makes a difference when you're not necessarily trying for extra bases. You're just yep. trying to get guys on base, put exactly. pressure on those pitchers, draw out counts. I think that's what Barstool's been good at this year. But I tell you what, if anybody's been scouting this, paying attention, you know there's a guy on third and you need a run, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd bring that infield in a little bit because they've done this squeeze play a few yeah. times already. Yeah, so. they're a good bunting team. Uh, you know, Caprio, he bunts a lot. Um, right. You know, he. I think the game I covered against Pittsfield, he was their nine-hole guy. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, that's a play they get down real well, so they got to be careful of that for right. sure. And I covered this game last year. Falmouth definitely had a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth when they were at Barnstable. There mm-hmm. was a point where it looked like they tied a game. Somebody had tripped over a bat coming home and it didn't touch the plate when they processed and they were called out, which otherwise would have given Falmouth the um, – I believe it would have tied the game for them. Just, again, this is over a year ago. <laughs> yeah. And Barstool ended up uh, winning that game. So definitely Fowles is wanting, wants to get this <laughs> one back. You know, again, no one likes losing to their rivals. And, you know, you hear about it sometimes is that, hey, they beat us in football. They beat us in basketball. Now it's time to get them back. And in this Absolutely. case, Fowles has dominated in the major sports early part of the year. So Barstool, I think, wants to finish on a high note there so they're not swept by their uh, longtime rivals. Absolutely. They split hockey, right, in boys' ice hockey? They tied Tied the first game and, and found with one the other. Okay, else. so, yeah, so, you know, a lot there's a lot of continuity between all these teams. Ryan Proto played on the hockey team. So, mm-hmm. you know, he definitely would like to get in at least one win against uh, Falmouth, you know, before his uh, season is over. We also have a really, really big softball game this afternoon. We have Monomoy at Dennis Yarmouth. Uh, you know, Monomoy is 5-2. and two. Dennis Yarmouth, 3-3. Three and three, The record is a little misleading. Both of us think these are probably the two best 
teams maybe throw Nantucket in there. I, as well. I do think they are the two best teams. Okay. <laughs> I'll so go on. I'll go. throw it on a limb right more there. definitive than me. <laughs> These are two of the best teams on uh, softball teams on the Cape for sure. Um, and I think Monomoy wants some payback. I think the pitcher Molly Charest wants some payback. You know, she was on the mound for both, or she was in the circle. Excuse me. Uh, she for both games last season. She was a freshman. DY won three two and one nothing despite uh, Sherris striking out 24 batters between those two games. So really, I think she is looking for some revenge. She wants this win. This would be a big early season statement win uh, for the Sharks if they can get it done. Um, I would look also for Emma Thatcher to have a really good uh, game. She was 3-for-3 when they last played, which was a week ago, a 6-2 win against Falmouth. She homered in that game. She's had homers in multiple games this season. Charest hit a three-run homer against Falmouth. So, you know, these are two very, very good teams, and I think those are two players to definitely watch. Yeah, I think D.Y. had a nice bounce back last week. I mean, they did lose to Marshall, but mm-hmm. they were leading that game 2-0 yep. and, and, and against one of the, if not the best pitcher in, in the South Coast Conference. I mean, Atlanta it's not the Coast South Coast, Atlanta Coast League, my bad. Um, I meant the South Coast area, I mean. Yeah, yeah I got you. <laughs> um, a- a- anyway, so th- this team was impressive, and, and I think they showed that they're still for real. Mm-hmm. Even though they're still trying to figure out between Abby Hicks and Manny Medeiros who's mm-hmm. going to be their go-to pitcher, I-, I think that this is a team, I think D.Y. can start to show that, hey, we're still the top dog, so to speak. But, I mean, you know, you look at these two matchups. You just mentioned Falmouth, Barnesville, Monomar, D.Y. Both of them, these are non-league games, mm-hmm. but they might be the biggest games of the year just to prove, you know, Hey, where are we right now? I mean, I agree. good measuring sticks right at the end of the month before we head into the hectic month of May. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great measuring stick. Where are we right now? You know, are we as good as we think we are? Mm-hmm. Or hey, do we got to do these two or three, two or three things better to have any shot of making a playoff run? For sure. And you know, it doesn't get easier for DY. They host Nantucket on Wednesday, and Nantucket beat DY seven five in early April. You know, with DY. It's the pitching question is an interesting one because uh, Abby Hicks has pitched the last two games, but mm-hmm. both and pitched well. You know, she struck out eight against uh, Marshfield and six against uh, Plymouth South, but both of those were losses. Their last win was against Nosset, who is not as strong a team as Plymouth South or Marshfield. Mm-hmm. They won fourteen two, and Maddie Materos pitched that one. She right. struck out six, walked two, only one earned run allowed. So. It is really this question of it seems like Hicks is getting pitched a little more. Medeiros has maybe had a little bit more success. So, you know, I, I think Coach Mike Benesia has still got kind of some questions to answer about who really the ace right. of that team is. But I, I think the D, the advantage for DUI here is that they got a bit, a bit of a deeper lineup. Mm-hmm. I think when you look at, you know, obviously Hicks and Medeiros are your kind of 3-4 middle of the lineup people. But you look at Ava McGaffigan, you know, yeah. a 4-4 four four game uh, last week against Nasset. Absolutely. You know, Abby Feinstein, the catcher, going 2-3 for three with an RBI. Those are the contributions you need if you want to defeat a good pitcher like Chires and, and Monomoy. So I'd be interested to see how the bottom of that lineup does today because sometimes that's DY secret is getting those one or two hits from the bottom of the lineup. And Monomoy does the same thing. You know, they, they've gotten contributions out of the bottom of the order too. But I think D.Y. does that just a little bit better, and I think that's going to make the difference today. Cool. So um, One last game I wanted to throw out there also for today. We are going to get to some games later in this week, I promise, shortly. Uh, changing tacks a little bit, Sturgis West Boys Tennis is at Bourne. Um, and these are actually these have been two of the best teams on uh, the Cape this uh, spring. Sturgis West is 6-0. and 
they're really getting great play out of their one singles player, Jack Andre. Owen Conlon is their three singles player. He kind of took that spot over in the second match of the season and has been really good ever since. Um, Noah Welpley uh, has been uh, on a doubles team with Nate uh, Perquet, and they have been really strong. You know, if they have some vulnerabilities, it's Satria Knight, the two singles player, has not won quite as often as some of the other ones. Same could be said for Andrew Barrera and Ben Murray. So if Bourne is going to have a chance in this one because they already did lose 4-1 to Sergis West earlier this season, they kind they need to handle those two spots and then find some way to beat either Andre Conlon uh, or the Welpley Prickett uh, doubles team. Um, you know, and for Bourne, Matt Caron is playing really well, Jack Perry, Andrew Ariagno, and then the doubles team, Sam Johnston George, and George Carpenter, they all won against Wareham. Uh, that was their last game. But the Canalmen have also been swept already once by uh, Old Rochester 5 nothing. And if they want to have a chance for a South Coast Conference title, they've got to find a way to beat ORR later this year. Yeah, it's cool to see West playing a little bit of a bigger school. I think proved mm-hmm. themselves a little bit. I know tennis, that's not always the indicator. Small, big school, it doesn't matter nearly as much. But, I, I mean, I think it's really cool to see a team like that undefeated. You saw it in golf. You know, Search West golf team went undefeated this year. Mm-hmm. And, and these guys you all mentioned, I mean, they all seem to enjoy what they do so far. So um, I always love that that first singles match. So because even if you have a program that might not be as great, I mean, you still might have a really talented player who yep. – who uh, could at least get a win for you. So um, You thinking of Cam Mazzoni for GY last year? Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, he was obviously, you know, miles above anybody else mm-hmm. on that team. But um, it's it really cool to see him step on the court, especially when some of these individual tournaments uh, begin. So Absolutely. Yes, the team part matters, but at the same time, there is that individual aspect of the sport. Um, I was going to actually stick with tennis, too, because we had another interesting um, – Look at the Gnostic girls this week. They're six and zero, and yeah. really are rolling into this year. You know, they host St. John Paul today. They host Marshfield on Wednesday, and they visit Falmouth on Friday. So mm-hmm. busy week. You know, those two league wins there would likely put them as uh, ACL champions. Yep. But um, they still have plenty of the schedule to play. Really impressed with sophomore Kelly Carlin, though, undefeated at second singles. Um, junior Gabby Dodoli is their first singles player. You know. Oftentimes, other teams, like I just said, will put their best player out there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, what I'd really be interesting to know is, hey, is Carlin challenging for that top spot? That's kind of how practice works. We're not there day-to-day, yep. so we don't know. But it seems like so far, Dodoli's going to stay in that top spot because Carlin's she's doing just fine at number yep. two, and a win's a win at the end of the day. But we'll be interested to see if, hey, maybe Carlin gets a shot at one single sometimes mm-hmm. later in the year, especially if the league title's already wrapped up, their seed's pretty much settled. You know, we'll see there. But, um, you know, a little inter-squad comp- competition never hurts, you know, sometimes. Sure. But then you also can't overlook doubles either. I, I think with Nossett, you know, seniors, Bevan Burns and Caroline Donahue, mm-hmm. you know, there's a senior leadership right there. They've been playing long enough, and they trust each other. And that's a big thing in doubles. You can't just throw two good players out there. You need players you can work together. And when you have two seniors who have been playing, I think that works out really well. And then juniors acquire a rank, and Regan Meehan are their second doubles partner. Both of those teams have – have won so far or won every match so far. So we'll look to see if they can keep that up. Sure. I I believe Reagan was a key member of the basketball team too, that, right. that had yep. that historic run for them. And, you know, I remember I was uh, last week talking to a St. John Paul girls lacrosse player, Victoria Butler, who talked about how the confidence of really getting to shine and being a league all-star in basketball gave her conf- additional confidence going into the lacrosse season. And mm-hmm. she's been better for it. 
And I wonder if with Reagan, it's the same situation of really getting to, to shine and break through in one sport and just carrying that momentum into the next one. Yeah, I mean, it, it helps anytime you're allowed to be put in those competitive situations. And I'm going to talk about this a little later with track if we have the time to. Um, sure. But, yeah, sports do build off each other in that sense. And really that's kind of what you get into when you look at the whole development of an athlete is that, mm -hmm. hey, rising to the occasion and ha having those memorable moments, you hopefully have you're encouraged to make more of those. For so, sure. Um, definitely a big matchup we need to talk about in girls lacrosse. Oh, yeah. Tuesday, 4 p.m., Falmouth Visit Sandwich. This is a really big ACL showdown for a bunch of reasons. You know, it'll be a big test for Falmouth. 9-0 undefeated. They've already clinched up their uh, South Sectional Tournament spot. So mm -hmm. at this point, I mean, it's just a matter of, hey, can we secure the league title just as well? Yeah. And the big thing is we have the two leading scorers in, in, in the league right here. Quinn O'Rourke, senior for Falmouth, 41 goals, 9 assists. Going up against Sandwiches, Sam Garassi, a junior, 37 mm -hmm. goals and three assists. But then I, I think the big thing, though, is you just have to look down the leaderboard and you see Fallon Kyla is out of 22 goals, 12 assists, and then her teammate Rachel Curtis, 27 goals, 6 assists. It's not just O'Rourke running the show here. Yeah. It's that big three up front of the attack, and I, I, that's going to be a real challenge for Sandwich defense. Traditionally, their defense is younger. Yeah. They try to get some younger players out there, so that's going to be a big test for them. Uh, and then rounding out the leaderboards, Ingrid Noss, you know, 13 goals, 13 assists, or 13 goals, three assists for Sandwich, mm -hmm. that next highest score for the team. I mean, this game could really go either way. It could either be a really high-scoring affair, kind of like we saw over the weekend, Falmouth playing Bridgewater Raynham yep. and Falmouth staying undefeated. Or it could be a really low-scoring game, a 5-4, kind of a grind it out. I think for Sandwich, what's going to be the real focus is uh, possession. Mm -hmm. You've got to maintain longer possessions that keeps the ball <laughs> Out of the yes. sticks of of Falmouth's big three attack, and and there's not as much, I don't know how I want to say this, not really as much stalling per se in girls across it, but there's a way where you can limit the offense, slow the game down. I think that's going to be important for um, Sandwich. I know Kelsey Beaton is really stresses discipline mm -hmm. and, and hustle out there, and um, if Sandwich has any shots, they're going to need both of those, you know, for a full 50 minutes if they have any chance of pulling off that upset. And I think whatever, if they can earn free positions, you know, direct shots, they have to take advantage of them. If, you know, mm -hmm. part of girls across strategy is run towards the goal, see if you can get somebody to block you and earn a shooting space foul and then get a free shot at the net. And if they can do that, they have to put those away because Falmouth, we know they can score and Sandwich has got, cannot give away free chances at, mm -hmm. at points themselves. Right. But also, I mean, hey, you look at Fallon's goalie, Taylor DeHeadville. I mean, yeah. she has she's only allowed five, an average of five goals a game. She's been really stuck. Right. But a, a lot of that credit also goes to senior captain Grim Borning for mm -hmm. really locking and leading that defense. So A lot of players on Falmouth's team that are going to go play college sports at some right. point. Not, I can't remember if they're all lacrosse. Some might be field hockey, but Gwen is definitely playing at, yeah. at the next level. Azado definitely is. I believe Rachel Curtis is as well. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think experience is going to carry most for Falmouth. So yeah, I think so. Too. I wouldn't be surprised if they go to 10-0. and 0 and uh, We'll see, though. That's why they play the games, right? And if they win this one, I believe uh, this one will clinch at least a share of the ACL title because they're undefeated in league play and everyone else has at least two losses. So if they get this one, they'll go to 6-2. and two. The worst they can finish is 6-0. is six and oh. The worst they can finish is 6-2, and two, and they'll at least – Tie for the title. I believe that's correct, right? right. Yep. And uh, just quickly before we get to the next game, just a quick shout-out to Kendra. I uh, just wanted to give you a quick shout-out. Um, Hi, Don. Kendra, <laughs> uh, you know, Kendra, uh, Mal, she was supposed to throw out the first pitch um, at Fenway Park oh, on Patriots Day. <laughs> and, uh, 
yeah, that's going to make that up soon, coming up this month. I think May 17th, uh, that's when they're going to make up that game. So cool. she's going to get a chance to start the first pitch, DY grad. So looking forward to that. Uh, back to, real quickly, get this game in. Uh, Bourne boys across. They visit Aponiquit on Wednesday. Bourne beat this team 15-8 uh, mm-hmm. back on the 13th. You know, Ken Allen looked real solid this year. You know, there's six, or excuse me, eight and one. You know, a lot of guys we hear about in hockey, Christian Mulker and Max yep. Hess. He's not a hockey player. Emery Dunbury. Those he, are their big three scorers right there. Emery was a key basketball player. Yeah, I mean, they have that three-pronged attack, which is good. I mean, their only loss this year was to Nosset, so mm-hmm. maybe they're not really ready to run with the big boys yet, but they do show a lot of promise. You know, looking at a goal like Marshall Garvey in that game, he was really standing on his head. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Bourne... You know, their favorites, I think, to win that conference is really going to come down between them and Old Rochester. Right. And Bourne won against Old Rochester 8-7 earlier in the year. They meet again on May 9th. So we'll see how that schedule finishes out. I think that's going to be Bourne's big focus is, hey, let's just win our conference and let's go from there. I think so. Let's it, not be worried about the big picture yet. I think they can worry, worry more about that as they, you know, get closer to the postseason. Yeah, if you win your conference, it tends to give you a pretty big boost in like where you're seated going into the playoffs. But I agree ORR is probably their biggest challenge, mm-hmm. but that means that doesn't mean – In the division. I mean, yeah, in the yeah, division. play some non-conference right. games too. That, but that doesn't mean you can ignore teams like Aponiquit or they have Fairhaven coming up. Uh, you know, these are other conference games. There are a lot of teams in the South Coast Conference. You can't give any of them away because Old Rochester is not likely to give any away either. Mm-hmm. Kind of wanted to end on a bit of a track note here. So uh, something that kind of just caught my eye, I was actually looking at this this morning, is the uh, MSTCA freshman sophomore meet at Norwell. That's this Saturday. You mm-hmm. have teams like Nossid and uh, Sandwich will be there. I'm not entirely sure about DYs. Usually they send their athletes as well. Um, but, you know, and I'll say this full disclosure, I was a former Central, Mac, Central Mass track athlete, you know, Uxbridge High, Go Spartans, all that stuff. <laughs> I'm a little biased, but I really love this meet, you know. There are some athletes that might already be great as freshmen or sophomores or underclassmen, mm-hmm. and, and they might already be winning. But I really like this meet because it gives those underclassmen a chance to really compete and, and move up in those you know results, whereas sometimes you might have those juniors and seniors who are in front of you. Right. And, and I think that's really important because you know I love to see a kid who might not have otherwise placed in an event or maybe mm-hmm. even won an event get to do that because you know what? That builds confidence. And at the end of the day, track, there could be a lot of turnover from year to year. People lose interest or they want to go try something else. And I think that having meets like that where you give an underclassman a chance to really succeed and, and match up against other similar, you know, aged athletes, mm-hmm. I think that's a big confidence boost. And, you know, it doesn't get the most co- – it's a hard thing to cover in Norwell, obviously. Right. But it really does identify the future of these programs because, let's Absolutely. face it, only in a couple of years they're going to be the leaders of this uh, of these teams. So – you know, it, it might not seem like a big deal from, you know, the big picture standpoint, but I know for those athletes, for those, especially the freshmen, mm-hmm. they, they really enjoy this meet. And, and I think that's important for the sport in general because, you know, you, you got to keep kids in the sport at the end of the day, and especially one that sometimes can be an afterthought. Sure. I, I think in general, the MSTCA, which is the Massachusetts State Track Coaches Association, one of the things they do well is provide sort of alternate kinds of competition than what kids are getting in their standard dual meets or sectional meets, you know, you saw the relays we just had the relays, down. which is a very different kind of competition where like you'll have the distance medley relay where you have four kids and they each run a different distance. You'll have three long jumpers and their combined distance mm-hmm. is the team score. It's, it's other kinds of competition. I think it's fun. I think it's a bonding opportunity. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and I think that's where the MSTCA uh, always shines. Right. 
And it's actually kind of funny, you know, we actually sometimes used to dread the relays a little bit because it was a Saturday meet. And sometimes <laughs> you look forward to having your Saturdays off sometimes because right. the meets are usually in the middle of the week. But, no, you're right, though. It, and it gives coaches a chance to experiment. It gives kids a, a chance, well, hey, before we get to these big league meets mm-hmm. and, and other important dual meets, let's go try something different. Because right. at the end of the day, yeah, it's nice if you do win a team title through relays, but it really is not the end of the world. So yeah. you get to try different things. And at the end of the day, I think that makes teams better. Definitely. So, all right. I think that just about yeah. wraps it up for episode eight. Uh, be sure to check us out. Um, if you didn't catch the show live, you can go to capecodtimes.com slash capesports now. You can also follow us on Twitter um, at sports uh, CC, at yeah. sports CCT. You can also follow me on Twitter at Steve underscore Dernarian. That last name is D-E-R-D-E-R-I-A-N. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Matt Goisman CCT. That's M A T T G O I S M A N C C T. We'll see you in May.